This show is supported by the BS Podcast Network. They got tons of great content over there. Please go check them out. In addition, sometimes I say things on this show that sounds like medical advice. I can tell you right now it's not. If you want medical advice, go talk to your doctor, not me. By supporting this show, you're supporting a cause. That cause is making science accessible for everyone. Thank you for your support. Hello, welcome back to Basically Science, the show that helps science become more accessible. This is part two of a four-part series. This series is about the properties of water and how it relates to the four seasons. In this episode, we are going to be talking about adhesion, cohesion, and capillary action, and these are three important properties of water, and we're going to talk about how these properties of water relate to the theme of this week's episode, spring. I have a degree in integrative sciences, which is specifically designed to provide interdisciplinary education of both physical and life science. Uh, This education helps me identify and understand the intersection of science and real-world problems. By the end of this episode, you'll have an understanding of adhesion, cohesion, capillary action, and a little bit about how watercolor indicates its quality. Additionally, you'll be able to identify these concepts in the real world. Last week, we explained that water is made up of two elements, hydrogen and oxygen. The structure by which these atoms bond together is defined by their electrical forces, or the electric forces associated with each element. You've experienced something like this before if you've ever tried to either take batteries or magnets and force two ends together that are repelling each other. This same force is the force that I'm talking about when I say these elements and their structure and their bonding structure is defined by these electrical forces. The forces are pretty much the same thing. These two elements really like to bond together because oxygen only has six electrons, but it really likes to have eight. It gets the other two electrons from hydrogen by sharing with it. Hydrogen each has one electron, making eight electrons total when they're all bonded together. Oxygen has a more negative charge associated with it, and hydrogens have a more positive charge associated with it. So what it does is it creates this line or this uh, gradient of electrical force across the water molecule when they're bound together. So on the oxygen side of the water molecule, it's extremely negative, and on the hydrogen side of the molecule, it's extremely positive. And this is what we call polarity, and it's extremely important in understanding adhesion, cohesion, capillary action, and it also helps us understand a little bit about water quality. In the simplest terms, you can think of a water molecule like a magnet. We have two terms that describe how water interacts with itself as well as other things. And the first term that we're going to talk about is called hydrophilic. Hydrophilic is a way that we describe water or things, and what it means is it it likes water. It's attracted to water, or water is attracted to it. The opposite of that, which is when water repels this thing or this thing repels water, would be hydrophobic. One example of something that is hydrophilic is a paper towel, and another thing that is hydrophobic would be oil or fat. Cohesion is the term that we use to describe water's interaction with itself. Remember how magnets are attracted to each other uh, when you put the correct poles or the correct sides together? Water kind of does the same thing. These 
opposing forces, a positive end and a negative end, they attract each other. And as a result, water binds with itself really, really easily, and it loves to do it. If you've ever seen those little magnetic balls, uh, the ones that uh, bind to each other, you can make shapes out of them. Um, and if you pull on one of those magnetic balls, the whole string of them comes along with. You can think of water like that because that's exactly what cohesion is. It's when water binds to itself and starts sticking to itself. And in order to pull that water apart, it's got to overcome that cohesive force. Adhesion is a very similar force, except it's when water sticks to other things or things around it. Now, this only works when the thing that water is trying to stick to is considered hydrophilic in some sense, right? Because if it's hydrophobic, it won't stick to it. Again, if you're thinking of water like a magnet... Magnets not only stick to themselves, but they also stick to other things. Water is the same way. It, it not only sticks to itself, it likes to stick to the edges of the glass that it might be in. It likes to stick to the side of plastic water bottles. It likes to stick to paper towels or towels, stuff like that. Those objects that water likes to stick to, they're all hydrophilic objects. And when you try to stick water to something that's hydrophobic, it won't work. That's why oil sits on top of water, because oils are hydrophobic. These two concepts, cohesion and adhesion, they actually work together in order to maintain life on Earth. Here's a good example of how cohesion and adhesion work together. Think of a cold water bottle on a hot summer day. That bottle collects condensation that then sticks to the outside. We talked about condensation last week as we discussed phases of matter. That condensation eventually beads up and gets large enough that it drips off the bottle. Why is that? Well, as each individual water molecule condenses onto that cold water bottle, they start to have other water molecules condense with them, whether they're bound together or not yet, and then eventually these uh, water molecules find each other and they try and bind to each other because of those forces of cohesion. And the way that the water is sticking to the side of the bottle is through forces of adhesion. So eventually all of these water molecules, they start binding together slowly and slowly and slowly as they get close enough that those cohesive forces attract each other. And eventually you get condensation that leads to little beads of water on the side of the bottle. Those beads of water eventually get heavy enough that it starts to run down the side of the bottle. The reason why it doesn't just fall off the bottle is because of forces of ad adhesion. However, there are certain circumstances that allow water to move itself up against the force of gravity, and that's what we're going to talk about next. That awesome property is what we call capillary action, and it allows water to move itself along hydrophilic surfaces. I want you to imagine two glasses of water. One glass is completely full and it has a bunch of red food dye in it. The other glass is completely empty. How do we get some of that water from the full glass into the empty glass? Well, the way that we do that is we're going to put a hydrophilic bridge in between the two glasses. As water starts to bind to that hydrophilic surface, which is the paper towel in this instance, it starts to continually get more and more attracted to the paper towel. And it works its way up the paper towel, which is why if you take a paper towel and you put a little drop of water in it, it eventually spreads out. The reason why it spreads out is because of all of that adhesive force trying to further spread the water. Each molecule is receiving a force from that adhesion to the paper towel. It's also receiving forces from other water molecules trying to go one way or the other. So all of these forces together 
eventually create this chain reaction. That chain reaction allows water to move from one glass, where it's completely full, all the way over to the other glass through the paper towel. And it takes a couple of hours to do that, but if you put water, colored water in one glass and then connect it to an empty glass through a hydrophilic bridge such as a paper towel, the water will eventually move until it's equal in both glasses. I did this demonstration, you can check it out on TikTok. Again, we're gonna relate water to magnets. Have you ever seen that video of the string of uh, magnetic beads and the guy pulls one of them out and as a result, they all start falling out of the beaker against the force of gravity? This is a very similar action. One force from a, wa a single water molecule pulls on another water molecule, which pulls on another water molecule, and so on and so forth. And this chain goes on and on and on until eventually we have an entire string of water molecules moving itself. And this is how water sustains life in the real world. From grass to redwood trees, this is how water moves through plants. It's not the only way that water moves through plants, but it's definitely a large contributor. The other force that kind of gets this ball rolling is a negative pressure force. You can think of plants as one big straw. What happens is, as water gets to the very top of the plant and gets to the leaves, to the outermost points, and starts getting in contact with air, it evaporates. And when that water evaporates, it creates a negative pressure situation. And that negative pressure is the same pressure that we apply to a straw when we want to drink a fluid out of a glass. So what happens is that negative pressure sucks some water up. And because it sucks on and pulls pressure on the water molecules right there in the leaf, every single water molecule connected to that string of molecules all the way down the plant, all the way down to the roots, gets pulled on that force as well. If cohesion, adhesion, and capillary action didn't exist, you would not be able to drink water through a straw because the force of sucking on the straw would only apply to the water molecules that were right there at the other end of the straw. But because cohesion and adhesion capillary action all work in tandem, you're able to apply pressure to a couple of molecules at the end of the straw, which then applies pressure to the rest of the water molecules, bringing them along with all the way up the straw. Additionally, forces of adhesion keep the water in the straw and keep it bound to the straw so it doesn't fall down. So there's all of these things working in tandem to create forces on water to allow it to do things that we want it to do. Life is completely sustained by these three properties of water working together. The first way that this happens is through plants. These forces and these properties of water that I had talked about, adhesion, cohesion, capillary action, they also have something to do with watercolor. When water is in its purest form, it's actually not clear. It's a slight blue color, and that's because the light that passes through it absorbs all of the light except for blue light. When you start to mix water with other things and other elements, two things could happen. One, the element or the thing that we're trying to mix with the water can either become dissolved, or two, it can become suspended. Those are different things, and here's why. When a solution or a thing or an element is dissolved in water, it is interacting with that water on a molecular level, making uh, chemical bonds. These chemical bonds are the same chemical bonds that are allowing hydrogen and oxygen to bind together to create water. 
when an object or a thing or an element is suspended, it is not forming those bonds. And as a result, if you were to take something suspended in a water solution and let it rest, eventually those two things would separate. Understanding how things can either dissolve or be suspended, it really impacts our understanding of the color of water. When we start to talk about watercolor, there's apparent color and there's true color. Apparent color is the color that we see when we just look at the water. And the reason why it might appear that color is because of something suspended in it. If we were to filter out that suspension, we would see then a water's true color. Understanding watercolor actually has really important indications of the quality of the water. And we can use the quality of water to make interpretations about an ecosystem or a lake or a river and understand, is it healthy? If it's not healthy, we can also start to draw some conclusions about what's making it unhealthy. And a lot of the times, that could be a result of human impact. When a body of water appears green, it's likely a result of algae growth. And algae are just little microorganisms that grow in the water. This can be a good thing, and it could be a good indicator of health, meaning that there's a lot of nutrients and a lot of oxygen and a lot of light for something to grow, right? These are all things that we need for life. So algae growth can be a good indicator, but it can also be a bad indicator because sometimes that algae takes so much advantage of the good nutrients and the dissolved oxygen and the light that it can actually block out and absorb nutrients for other things to grow. A healthy ecosystem is defined by its diversity. So if the only thing growing in a pond is going to be algae, it's really not a healthy ecosystem. Now, if there's algae plus fish plus a bunch of other organisms, then it would be considered a healthy ecosystem. If the water appears like a lightish green, that means there's likely a healthy amount of algae. But if it's a dark green and it's really thick and murky, that's probably an unhealthy level of algae. The same goes when we start to consider minerals dissolved in our water. Minerals can impact the color of water from reddish-brown to blackish-gray to even a yellowish. When we see water that's reddish-brown, it's likely a result of iron, whether that's from rusty pipes or iron deposits in groundwater. A lot of times if we're seeing that reddish-brown color, it's coming out of our faucets in our own home. Water can also appear yellowish, and that yellowish color comes from uh, dissolved organic material. So if uh, leaves are being decayed and broken down in water, it can oftentimes put off uh, a color into that water that is either greenish or yellowish or even reddish at times too. Water can also appear to be a blackish gray, and a lot of times that's actually a result from uh, minerals such as manganese or salt being dissolved into the water. That's kind of where this idea of winter to spring transition and talking about these properties in this order from last week to this week is as snow melts in the wintertime, it creates a large amount of runoff on our roadways and all the way through the entire what we call watershed, which is a, a section of area that all drains to a central location. Understanding Adhesion, cohesion, capillary action helps us understand how important water is to life on Earth. 
right? Because this is how we move water in plants, and plants are the basis of the entire food chain. So if plants can't get the nutrients in the water that they need, then we're not going to be able to feed all of the organisms above it on the food chain. Additionally, adhesion and cohesion allow water to interact with both suspended and dissolved elements in the water. These suspended and these dissolved elements actually have a big impact on the color of water, and we used watercolor as an indicator of health of either a lake or a stream or any sort of aquatic ecosystem. These indicators aren't just indicators for the health of the ecosystem, but they're indicators for us as people to see what impacts we might be having on these water systems as humans. We talked about how when snow melts in the winter, and as we move from winter to spring, all of that snow melting leads to a lot of runoff, and that runoff picks up a lot of the chemicals that we put on our roadways in order to keep ice off the roads. A lot of times that chemical is rock salt. We know that when that rock salt drains into our rivers and lakes, it can actually have a huge impact because we use that same water as our drinking water. And everything that we put into the water, we have to then have the energy and the process in order to filter that water so that we can reuse it as drinking water and as water that we bathe in and all our other uses of water. If we start to destroy the aquatic ecosystems in our area, such as our lakes and our rivers, it makes it really hard for us as humans because we are completely dependent on those sources and us ruining them. It, yeah, it kills the ecosystem, but it also ruins it for us. This intersection of the science of water and how it could impact us on a human level is absolutely beautiful. And it's a, just a reminder to stay mindful of your water usage and what you're doing and how it could impact the water near you. This is also a large inspiration for this entire series. Remember, this is part two of a four-part series, and each episode in the series is going to be correlated to or associated with a different season of the year. That's it for this week's episode. Remember, this is part two of a four-part series, and next week the theme is summer. So make sure you tune in because we're going to be talking about more awesome properties of water and how it interacts with light and what that means for aquatic life. Please hit subscribe, turn on notifications for new episodes. You can follow the show on Twitter at ScienceBasicPod, as well as me on Twitter at BurgessAdam. For more content, or if you prefer video, you can check out our YouTube channel. All of these episodes are in video format on YouTube. If you're currently on YouTube watching this, go ahead, subscribe, and hit that like button. That like button allows me to make sure my content is resonating with the audience. If you want to join the community, you can join on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. I encourage you to share this with a friend, and for feedback or inquiries, you can contact me at sciencebasically at gmail.com. Thank you.